some good rock and roll coming up for you now. I love my much music t-shirt. Five original members of Aerosmith are back in the saddle. Erica M. much music. The invention of the VJ. A flashback on the career that made them who they are today. On this episode. When Steve Anthony showed up to work at Much, it was like this tornado of energy who exploded into the studio. This is Much Music, the nation's music station. This is the new blonde VJ person. Uh... What makes you so good? Oh, shut up. No, honestly. <laughs> this is Erica M's reinvention of the VJ. Now, here's Erica M. Hi, everyone. I'm Erica M. And welcome to the very first episode of Reinvention of the VJ. You know, I have been grappling with starting a podcast for the last few years, but I've been told that I should start a podcast so many times, but I couldn't find a topic that I wanted to commit to for an extended period of time. And then in the meantime, I spent a fair amount of time trying to understand, you know, what is it that makes a good podcast? And there was one piece of advice that really stuck with me. And this is it. If you're going to start a podcast, make it about something specific and unique to you. Something only you have intimate knowledge about, a topic that you're passionate about. And most importantly, a show that no one else could easily replicate. So... What can I talk about that very few people can? Swans with lethal weapons. The experience of working at Much Music, obviously. I mean, the truth is, no matter how much I've achieved in the years since leaving Much, I will forever be remembered as Erica M., who introduced those videos and interviewed those bands in the 80s and 90s. So then I started wondering, how are all the other VJs who spent time on air at Much over the years... How have they processed their time on air? Was their experience positive? Was their time at much a springboard for future opportunities? Or was it limiting? Did it hurt them to be pigeonholed as that person who was on much music? Because we were super famous at that time. See, the reality is that we are all in a state of reinvention. And when I say all, I don't mean all of the people who are on much music. I mean you who's listening. We are all works in progress. Okay, and that is when I had my aha moment. So this podcast is going to explore the challenges of reinvention through stories and experiences of some of the best loved hosts or VJs who worked at Much. So here's what you can expect from my reinvention of the VJ podcast. Weekly in-depth interviews from some of the ex-hosts of Much Music who hopefully will agree to be on the show. Um, Coming up in the next few weeks, Rick the Temp is going to be here and the iconic Jeannie Becker will be joining me on Reinvention of the VJ. We're going to talk about life before Much. We'll trade tales from behind the scenes at Much and we'll chat about what they're up to now and really how they got there. It's going to be a blast for me. There's going to be a bunch of people who've been on air who I've never met before. And then lots of people that I'll be reconnecting with who I haven't seen in years. And then there is my very first guest. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find, a, le- I'm trying to find a level of, of sincerity. Level of sincerity in that. I'm so excited. Oh, it's you again, okay. Steve. I chose this guest for two reasons. Number one, because Steve is helping me behind the scenes to make this podcast come to life. And the second reason is because this guy is the polar opposite of me 
in so many ways. When Steve Anthony showed up to work at Much, okay, I remember this. It was like this tornado of energy who exploded into the studio, hyperactive. <laughs> this is very flattering. Hyper funny, Thank hyper you. funny, serious gift of gab, and a natural performer. So different from me, really. And when you think about it, because I'm kind of quiet. I mean, you know that, Steve, right? I am kind of quiet. You're being louder than I'm, I've ever heard you. I know. Ever, right now. This it's is, my show, for this once. Is far too boisterous for you. Uh, I'm pretty reserved, and I'm super earnest. I don't even know if you can spell the word earnest. Well, okay. I mean, we're so different. Can, can, right off the bat, I just thought of this. Okay. And this is one of those, one of the many things that I respect about you now, but even then. We would, you, you mentioned that we were ultra famous, and that is true, not in a boastful way. No, no, no. It's like we just, were the only game in town. Right. So in Toronto, where we were headquartered, we would do the bar scene, or we would be anywhere at a restaurant. And then people would come up and they'd address you, which is what one of the miracles of, of much music was that you, you were somewhere between a celebrity and petty theft. You know what I mean? Like, you don't talk to the thief, but you'll, you know, we're just above that. But we're certainly not a celebrity that you don't uh, feel you have access to. You can walk up like, yeah, it's, it's Erica. So I always felt an obligation because they watched to um, be able to give them my attention and time, even if they were dicks. <laughs> but I saw you once going, somebody came up and they were like, oh, Erica, kind of like the huggy kind of thing. And she go, I remember you going, I don't know you, something like this. It was like, I don't know you and you're being way too familiar with me. And you basically told him to get the, get the hell out of here. Well, that's the difference is that being a woman in the business. Oh, I, that's true too. So different yeah. than the guy because guys are usually more in control in a physical way. Yeah. And I, that, I that had was, to, I was, really I was pre- living, I was working and living in a man's world. Right. Much music was a man's world. Mm-hmm. Music business is a man's world, especially back there, back then. So I had to really stand up for myself and really go, don't touch. Well, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. And I respected that mm-hmm. because I, I didn't have the, the balls to do that because I didn't want to I guess I was a little too vain about wanting to appear aloof, hmm. even though I'd have every right in the world to do it, and I don't have to justify having done it. But I thought if if I wasn't super accessible, they would walk away and go, oh, "What a dick that Steve Anthony is." Well, they would say that anyway. I mean, not, right. not because you were, but just because people like saying those kinds of things, right? And and what I respected about you is you. Now I'm finding out you felt the need, but you put them in their place. You you made sure there was an understanding that there's me over here and there's you over there, and the two will keep a distance from each other. So I do think that there's a through line to all of our stories, that who we were when we were very young and who we are today, very old, is there's consistency. And so I want to know, okay, this is what's weird. You and I sit, sat across from each other for like seven years. Right. At much. We worked like face to face, our desks, but we never really hung out. We only really reconnected about 15 years after. That's true. true. Uh, You were married and you were a little more settled Mm -hmm. and we started to hang out. So now I get to ask you the questions. Go. Get to know you as a person. What were you like as a kid? Were you, were you hyperactive, crazy kid? Were you quiet? Who were you when you were little? Uh, Okay. This is, you know, this is a, this is self-analysis. Uh, I, f- I discovered in a cliche way that you could get what you wanted if you could uh, 
come out of a shell and make people um, laugh or do something that somebody else wouldn't do. How how did you do? You remember an instance where okay, that well, worked for let you? Let me. Here's an example of say for 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 high school. Uh, I went to a private. Well, hang on a second. I went to. Do you remember Pierrefonds Comprehensive High School in Montreal? It started out, this was the first year, this is how old I am, it was the first year that grade seven became high school, okay? So Pierrefonds Comprehensive High School was built by a guy who built prisons. So the architecture was a lot of, you know, a lot of concrete and, 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 and building bricks and indirect lighting and all that. And it was empty most of the time because it was so huge. So I would get attention by hanging out with the guys who would... Um, put little pieces of aluminum foil in all of the uh, sockets, all of the outlets, and then you'd r- you'd run down the hallway with a stick, and you would touch them so they would go zap, 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 and then you'd be able to brag about having turned got all the power out on that side of the building. So it was so like you what? Were that kid. Yeah. So why were why is all the power on this side of the building? Oh well, me and my pals did that. So um, I realized after two years of that that I was going to jail. So I was, I'm getting to the point here. So I asked my dad if I could go to a private school, which he went to as well, Loyola. So seven, eight. So grade nine, I went to Loyola and then realized, because there's only like 500 students there, um, all seven grades, that if you did some stuff outrageous, you were noticed. So I remember in our English class, uh, we were reading Shakespeare. I think it was Macbeth. And uh, I, I would have a part to read in Macbeth and I would hide myself in a cupboard in the back of the classroom. And then when it came to my time to do my part, I would read my part as Casey or Finnegan from the Mr. Dress Up show inside of a closet. Now, <laughs> I, went, I went, well, okay, I'm getting attention. And so, to be honest, that was the kind of thing. That, 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 th- those are the lengths I would go to, to go, look at me, look at me. So, um, whether it was a crutch, so I could get what I wanted or not, but it, and you would understand this too, in that when you first uh, end up being a broadcaster or whatever the case may be, you overcompensate, then you undercompensate, you overcompensate, and then you find the middle ground where it's you and performer and the other. So I was finding my, my footing even back then. You never found a middle ground, Steve. <laughs> no. That is that is not your strength. Right. <laughs> you, you, I think what you were known for is that, which is not having a middle ground for being really outrageous. I mean, that were you told to do that? Like when you were working, John Martin, our boss at the time, Moses Neimer, who started um, and invented much music, were you given a directive to be as crazy and as outrageous as you can? Or did you invent that? I, nobody, truly, truly, no one ever told me what to do. That's true, because no one told me what to do. So we're on this. I know that's true. So I was more comfortable doing the outrageous stuff than I was doing the standard stuff. It's like, it's, it's really hard to not get something right. Like, if you, to, to, be, to be constantly wrong, to, to get things wrong consistently and never get them right is harder <laughs> than trying to get everything right and then occasionally getting it wrong. So that was the easier path for me to go to because it, it wasn't normal. It was, it, it was um, you know, getting something wrong and, and I, you know, I, would, I would be able to be self, self, what's the word I'm looking for, self-deprecating. So to, to, to admit that you were not as good as other people was easier to do than try and 
excel at what you were doing. So but that was easy for me to go. You would never be Christopher Ward. Never, I couldn't. Right? You could yeah. never because he was meticulous right. and. Well, and it's not that I didn't care. It's not, it's no. not that I didn't care. It's not that I didn't care about okay. those things, but it was it was it was much harder to do that and get it right than get it wrong all well, the time. Well, it wasn't you. Right, and, and that I wasn't think, me anyway. Isn't right. that the key and the magic of much? Right. Was that we were all just who we here's, were. Here's a description of what I tell people. They said, what did you do? I said, well, um, I would go into work. They would say, do some stuff for four hours, and then we'll bring you a wheelbarrow full of money. And, and that was it. And I didn't get a goddamn yeah, wheelbarrow no, of didn't. money. Yeah, I know. What the hell? Well, you were a woman in the broadcasting <laughs> industry. You never made as much money as the guys did. It's so true. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. So when, how did you prepare for your shifts? Like, did you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Yes. I. One of the things I was proud of was, um, you don't know if you're off script if you don't have a script. Mm. So as much as it might look like I hadn't rehearsed, I mean, in a... I was overly prepared. And so if I was overly prepared for something, I could go off script. I would know how far I was off the main track, how far I was, how far I was on the beaten track if I knew what the main track was. So my preparation for radio translated to my preparation for TV. I, in fact, because there was so much to do and, and I, I had other things on the go, like I was doing radio and TV, I had to hire people to read countless um, uh, magazines and stuff for me and cull it. I, I would carry bags of magazines home to do my research. Right, and it's not you that I didn't want to. I had to hire people to go through Rolling Stone magazine, yeah. Vogue, and all this stuff, and, and know me well enough that w- what would interest me, right. that they could clip it out. We didn't have the internet. You had to actually read a magazine. Actually, I I want to correct you because I remember when the internet sort of started and you, Steve Anthony, people know you as being some crazy dude who, you know, throws Christmas trees off buildings. But really, you are incredibly high tech savvy and you were probably the most familiar with online stuff back then. My my, my brother was, it's very, very... um, He's he's very he's legendary in computer programming. He was there at the very beginning of creating Unix and stuff like that. So it kind of rolled off of me that that tech part of it. So yeah, I I certainly embraced. It was like we finally have email. Can I? <laughs> can you can go I to the t- bathroom? No, what? No. Can I tell you a story? I just thought of it. Okay. So email was hard to believe. Email was a new thing, even it was. internally. I remember. Okay. So I don't know. If there's a term for it now when you steal someone's when you hack someone's email account and you. You pose as them. They didn't have security where if you walked away from your computer after five minutes, it would lock up. You just was left open. So people would have on their desk, they would have their stuff open. We're talking in the much environment now, Correct. right? Correct. Okay. much environment. Mm. And I, I never sent it. One person, you know, there were a number of people that I worked with not on air. There was, we were the bad boys, right? I mean, just, you, you know who they were. Know them well. Okay. Yes. So one of them... <laughs> I would, I would, there was a year where in the washrooms, they put in the toilet paper dispensers, like not instead of the rolly ones, the plastic ones that go on the wall where they have two rolls in them. So it's a flat surface on the top. So <laughs> I wrote on somebody's email, one of my friends going, um, so-and-so and so-and-so named a whole bunch of people. We would like to thank management, and there's like a million people, 
Um, so-and-so, so-and-so so would like to thank management for installing the cocaine shelves in the washrooms. And I, I never did send it because I never would have known. But it was one of my, my most famous things I didn't do because I thought, well, I would go out. It was like CH would go. You know, CH has just said, <laughs> he's happy that there's a cocaine shelf in the washroom. God, Steve, so th- that is like, that makes me I'm aghast you know because I'm such a nerd yeah. and you're you were so bad like tell me about the bad because I was never invited to the parties and I I didn't live that life tell you don't do it anymore no. but back then you lived the rock and roll life yep that's that that's us we were as we were as much rock and roll we the bad uh, boys the bad boys the collective uh as any rock star were and and and, and for Canada we were as much a rock star as any rock star was. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we were, you know, Bono, but we were whoever the lead singer of such and such. You know, we were Mark Holmes. We were Platinum Blonde. Like we were mm-hmm. famous. So um, we were able we were, we were able to maintain ourselves in a world um, that other people would. It would appear that they were they were what it was. They're being they're being um, they're being uh, accused of what we, we they would think people would think that myself or my friends were doing drugs or being drunk, whatever the case may be. And it still comes up and it doesn't haunt me. It's reality. But it, it was never as bad as anybody ever thought. We somehow built up this reputation of being such bad boys that even when we weren't bad boys, we were bad boys. Did you do that on purpose? No, it just it was just fell into place. Like, oh my God, Steve Anthony, my God, fuck, he's such a cokehead. No, I'm not on coke. Like, you know what I mean? Like, You're just or, crazy. Well, yeah, just, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying that there wasn't times where you'd be, you know, hung over like Jack the Bear, but the next day you wouldn't be hanging over like Jack the Bear and it would be the same thing and they would think you were, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was plausible deniability, a lot of that reputation that we had. We, we collectively, me with a huge ego, we never did it deliberately to look like the bad boys, but it fell into place and you go with what you got. So that's Well, I what think we did. also a lot of bad boys are bad boys because they're bad boys. Yeah, that's I true mean, too. You, yeah. you don't plan it. Right. You just are attracted to a certain type of lifestyle and the joke the joke was we would say amongst the bad boys we had we'd say um so there we were drinking heard the story already <laughs> <laughs> right? that was that was that was that typified us what do you think that everybody talks about much being a moment in time, magic, trailblazing. What was it, Steve? Because, you know, in a way I take it for granted because I lived through it and right. I couldn't see it from the outside. What do you think it was about much that people still talk about and are that feel such a strong connection? We, we had a chance to cheat, though, okay? If um, a much music couldn't exist right now because people are just, they can, they're, they're regurgitating old stuff. Um, I hate to say there's nothing new under the sun, um, but that is probably true. There's some kind of corollary of, of what has happened before, but the uniqueness and, and, and original doesn't exist anymore in a world where, you know, people don't even put out albums anymore. They record 60 songs and release them one at a time because they are so disposable. If they release 12 tracks at a time, they all get burnt out and then you're done. Mm-hmm. So people digest it and they spit it out and it's gone and they, you know, poop it out. Um, it hadn't been done before. Anything that we did... 
If I went on TV and I burped, it had never happened before. If I went on TV and uh, put graffiti on the building next door, nobody ever done that before. So no matter what we did, it hadn't been done before. So we were the originators of everything. Anything we did was original to the audience. And they hadn't had access to that before. And they didn't know their artists. They didn't see music videos. And, you know. And also, they never had people on TV looking them in the eye, looking right into the camera and talking to them. Right. Usually it's a scripted piece of crap. This was real people talking about real things that mattered. You spoke about, or not what you cared about, but you you spoke about Steve's world. Yeah. I spoke about Erica's world. Right. And people got to know us as people. Right. We were, like I said, we were, we weren't celebrities. We were just above petty thieves. (laughs) So you have no problem as a consumer. You had no problem talking to that person just above petty because it's fine. So there was never that distance. We were very attached to them or they were very sorry, they were very attached to us so um i want people who are listening to this right now to to learn something that they can apply to their lives in some way so we don't just talk about ourselves for the mm-hmm. whole time which i really like doing but let's let's uh learn something from your experiences what in retrospect was the biggest mistake you made when you were at much mm-hmm. that you have never done since because you learned from it. Wow. There is some confusion. There would be, there's a lot of overlap because the world's blended together. I did, I was doing, I did much music and I did, I ended up being uh, doing two radio shows at separate times. And then I did two TV shows. I did much and I did breakfast, tele- tele- uh, breakfast television at the time. So they, all of that stuff kind of blended together. So I can't as, separately. No, but this is really as a broadcaster, right. really big mistake that uh, you made that. I, I, I see this sounds pompous thinking, thinking that you, that one was indestructible. that one was made of Kevlar that every mistake you made would be forgiven. Like, and that's a bit of a problem in that if people are um, there, what's the word you're lo- I'm looking for? They're enc- not encouraging you, but uh, they give you liberties to do stuff. You, they let you get away with stuff. They do that too often, and you don't have somebody to, to check on you and say, bad, then you continue to do that. And then it gets to the point where you're so far down that road of being bad that you don't realize that it really is bad. You know, we say there's the, you, you ask about bad boys. Yeah, we're bad. There's some point where it's too far. And, and that was, you know, in retrospect, I look back at it saying, well, I wish somebody pulled me back a little bit more. I guess it was somebody that, somebody who I respected, but then you get to the point where you're getting away for so long, you don't have to listen to anybody. So that was probably one of those problems. You have had such an incredible career. You are having, it's not have had, you are a, a viable work in progress. You are, you have I, a- I am, I am a, I am a yoga class. What is that? Because I have no idea. Okay, with yoga, you never have a good class. It's a good practice. Ah, they always say that. True. No, they always say that. You've never done a yoga class. You just practiced it. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just do. So you have been a broadcaster for almost forty years. Over forty forty years. What makes you so good? Oh, shut up! No, honestly, (laughs) Steve, you were you were the the host on breakfast television. You quit after having been chosen once again as the top morning host. Well, so yeah. um, you're, I this am, is not you being pompous. This is a, an actual fact. 
where people voted for you as being the best, as crazy as you are. What is your secret? Um, it used to be, there's a, there was a guy, I'll name him, his name was, uh, uh, if, he, if he was listening, Kim, I think Kim Zayak. He used to be a record rep years ago for, for Sony Records. And he asked me the same thing, and I, I said to him, the moment that I give a shit, it's over. Wow. The moment that I care too much about any particular nuance or whatever the case may be, if I get caught in the minutia of whatever it is I'm doing, you overthink things and then, and then you're done. You question what you're doing. So you're saying you have to, you just trust your gut? Right. Yeah, basically. I guess that's what it is, to paraphrase it. Yeah, you got to trust your gut. You could be absolutely wrong. I was fortunate enough to to be right a lot of the time, <laughs> or at least the outcome was not negative. You know. Right. Okay. Um, are you risk adverse or a thrill seeker? Uh, oh, that's a good, no, I'm not risk adverse. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. Uh, uh, have we talked about me in the last couple of seconds? Oh yes, we have just seconds ago. <laughs> Five years ago, I, I had my hold my beer moment. I mean, I had a lot of them. But um, there were okay. Let me go backwards. For, for here, here's a perfect example. We are in Lake Louise. We're doing a, a much snow job thing, and I'm climbing because I didn't care. I'm climbing uh, an ice waterfall. Okay, and and back then we really didn't take safety into consideration very much. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm tethered off to up above, but I, I've got the picks on and I'm climbing. So they're shooting from below, and I'm mic'd, wireless microphone, so you can hear me talking, and I'm grunting and doing, and my phone, my cell phone rings. And I literally stop. I'm halfway up. I'm like 150 feet in the air, and I'm, I'm answering my phone, and I'm going, yeah, no, listen, I'm really bad timing. Yep, I'm just shooting something, but if I fell, what I thought to myself was, how do I, this is true, how do I fall and hurt myself least. I didn't say, oh my God, I'm going to fall. I think that really sums up your life, isn't it? It, it? it was, I'm perfectly aware that I could kill myself. How do I kill myself least? Did you know that you were going to kill yourself when you ran into the um, monster truck right, and, that, and smashed your hip? That's what I was saying. I was trying to get to that. So <laughs> I, yes, I did. That was my hold my beer moment. Up until then, if I got hurt, it was always, you patch it up, you, you got some bruises, you're a, you know, whatever, you know, stitches, it's fine. But I really broke my hip. I mean, I, I broke the femur cap off from my femur. For those who haven't witnessed it, describe what you did. So I was doing the, the latest television show that I did it was a breakfast show, it was a news show in Toronto, but I was a non-news guy, CP24 Breakfast. And I was the host in studio, but occasionally when there was something to do out in the field that was really crazy and fun, they would ask me to ask me to go out and do it. Steve will do that one. Right. So it was the Monster Truck Show. It was the morning of, and it was in a big arena in Toronto. And I was interviewing, 7 o'clock, 7.10, I was interviewing a guy with the Canadian Monster Truck, a champion called Northern Nightmare or something. You will never forget that name. No. So... So the guy's talking, I'm interviewing him, he's talking, and it's literally my truck, you know, 900 horsepower, 
300 feet in the air, blah, blah, blah. And literally, I, I, it was my hold my beer moment. I said, hold my microphone. <laughs> I gave my microphone and I ran at his truck and I jumped and I drop kicked the truck, the tire. And from there, I fell. And I thought, okay, it's dirt. Again, one of those, I'm going to, maybe I'll get hurt, but whatever. But it was concrete. It literally, they packed down the, the, the ground so that the monster trucks can get a grip. And it was the perfect storm, perfect weight, went down and snapped it. So my femur cap is broken off in my, my femur cap is broken off. So my femur, my, they're not together. And I am in, I turn I white. I'm absolutely white with pain, but I'm live on TV and they start. You're live on TV. Live on TV doing a break. My host back at the station is going, you okay? I'm going, oh, <laughs> oh this God. is really bad, really bad. And I actually got up and walked around. <gasps> at that time, I didn't know. I thought I'd popped it out. And I did the rest of the show. I did six more pops over two hours. And they would they would carry me like weekend at Bernie's, you know, the dead body. <laughs> they, I would put my arms around these two guys and they'd take me and they'd stand me up against something like because I, I couldn't put any weight on it. And I would interview people and it just, I, I did it. And then afterward they had to bring in an EMS truck and they put me on the gurney, brought me in. Lady said, you've broken your hip. And then five days later, they give me a new hip. And, you know, six weeks later, I have a, a metal hip. So since then, that was the first time that I went, I'm not indestructible. And that, and that changed, that changed things a little bit. Now I'm a little more cautious about, whereas before I didn't give a shit. I didn't care. Uh, you know, the, the, how much pain can you go through? Well, that was a lot of pain and a lot of damage that'll last forever. So now I'm a little more cautious, but again, I'm 60, so. So I've asked people in the world of the internet to ask me or to tell me anything they want me to ask you. So someone, in fact, John yeah. from Instagram said, hey would better technique have avoided the <laughs> dropkick injury? Um, like I, <laughs> sorry. It was, like I said, it was the perfect storm. I, it, if you, if I were to take you and drop you three feet, like I, I, I would pick up Erica M and I would have you sideways and I would drop you on the ground, a hard ground. One would expect, even if you landed on your hip, you would not break your hip. I didn't think I'd break my hip, but it was just the perfect storm. So there was no way that I would have, I wouldn't have, if I knew I was going to break my fucking leg, <laughs> my, my femur, I wouldn't have done it, but it was literally hold my beer. And then off I went because, well, I, I'm, I'll probably be in some pain, but it's worth it for TV. Like, you know, going for the gag. Steve, how has being part of the, the much experience over the decade that you were on air how has that made you who you are today? Or has it not? Uh, wow. That's a good... I, I certainly am the person I am because of, of that. But why? Well, if I... Let's just say that I'm a broadcaster. It's not like you're asking a guy who, who uh, you know, builds cars at the GM plant, you know, what would it be like if you were a VJ? I mean, I'm a broadcaster, so I'm radio or TV. And on the TV side of things, I got to do much music. And my philosophy had always been push the envelope, push the envelope, push the envelope. These days, young people can't do that. They get fired. There's no risk taking. There's just well, too much at stake. Old people get fired, too. Old people, too. Everybody gets fired. Zero risk-taking now in the world Cor of broadcast. Correct. Mm -hmm. And not not by anyone who is a broadcaster 
performer's fault. They do it, and the people above them will say, uh-uh. So I was always able to find myself in an environment where I managed to be able to do what I wanted to do. And what I did was successful enough that I didn't have restraints put on me. And then one begets the next, begets the next, begets the next. And, it, oh, that's Steve Anthony. He does all that crazy stuff. And I have a reputation for doing it and success doing it. So when much music came along, which was the epitome of, now I'm not just talking about doing it, that people can see me doing it, I would do it and get away with it. And not only that, I'd be encouraged to do it. And so, like I said, one begets the next, and they tell two friends, and so on and so on and so on. So, so that's it. I, I, I am the person I am right now being able to, you know, kind of risk doing and saying and not having a lot of barriers in my brain or my mouth um, to uh, accept, I might say. <laughs> this was true. When I, when I started to do this TV show, the last one, it's a news show pretty serious news show. I'm the non-news guy. That's why they hired me. But I promised them that I had a filter installed between my brain and my mouth. And is it true? A little. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't set on high. So yeah, there are some situations where you can't just do whatever you want. But most of my career, I was able to do that because... Because the people who were the people who were in charge saw some benefit to it. So I like what you were saying about broadcasting and the fact that everybody now gets fired for trying something different. You like that? I, no, I, I like that you are bringing it up, and I'm wondering because you really are somewhat of a visionary. I really do believe that your people don't know a lot about what you do behind the scenes. Where do you think innovation is happening now in in the world that is interesting? <sighs> There's, like I said, there's nothing new under the sun, and I'm just trying, trying to get these thoughts right. There are people that can deal with what is there with the minutia, and they can do corollaries of what has been out there. And those are the, those are the people that I admire. That they can, they're they're doing what was done before, but there's this subtle twist that oh. they figured out. There's there's, this, there's a word for that. It's called what? micro innovation. Micro innovation. Mm. Yeah, that 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 is the only tangible thing I see. We're not, there's not going to be a world of, of new things to be able to do or say in the next while. It just, and if there is, someone seizes on it. I say in America, you know, um, if there's any way to make money doing something, America's going to figure out how to do it. You know, if there's any, cause so everybody's looking for that little thing to be able to grab and only the first people are going to see that little thing. So it's those micro innovators. Mm -hmm. So before I let you go, you're not letting me go there. There is something that you are working on right now that I'm a part of. Yes. And this, this is bringing a lot of our peers together in, in, a, Yay! in a really fun way. So why don't you talk a little right. bit about that? A bunch of years ago, uh, it was a, around a time when I would, ha I don't know why people were saying, God, Everybody still say, more, even more so now, God, I miss, miss much music. God, there's nothing like much music. Stuff we talked about right now. And there isn't. Because you can get videos on demand from YouTube. and But and no curation, no personality, nothing, nothing. nothing. So I said, we can't do it on TV again because people could just look up on YouTube if they want to see a video. So what made much music that, you know, different was us. So let's see what we can do about putting us on a radio show. So 
that started a long time ago. And with everything, there's obstacles and syndicators and licensing fees and <laughs> on. Bullshit. I saw this bullshit. It's so much bullshit. Anyway, we're inches away from finally getting our show um, on the air. Which uh, is called? That's well, see this, this? Oh, is, we don't know yet. We don't. See, this is where oh, we're still. Okay. okay. What, what it will contain yeah. are these words. Original VJs. Whether we attach anything else to it, so definitely it will be original VJ's show. If there's anything else around that, we'll see. Because um, my idea was that there are only five or six original VJ's. And your show is about all of them, but mm-hmm. there are only five or six originals. Right. And we have all of them save one on this show. And we have great stories. Really Insane. great stories. Insane. Okay, before I let you go... The last question I have, which is so interesting to me, is about reinvention. And you are right now, I think, in a place of big reinvention. You quit your job as the top, one of the top broadcasters in the country. Gotta go outside, Felt. To buy a bed and breakfast with your awesome wife, Tanya. She's not so awesome. So, <laughs> so... Um, what no, is that? Honey, honey, if you're listening, you really aren't. <laughs> you really aren't that awesome. What? How do you? How do you make that internal change? How do you reinvent? How do you? That is funny that you would say that. My next door neighbor, or a couple rows down, uh, he is the counselor for my district where I live. He's also a former broadcaster, not on air, but behind the scenes and all that. He's. He's been in politics. He's been in broadcasting. He was kind of famous in circles because he was on boards and, and et cetera, et cetera. And then he kind of retired, got into a little bit of politics, still doing that stuff. And he said the same thing to me. He said, how does it feel? Because about six months after I stopped doing this, people stopped noticing me. Yes. And he was concerned that somehow because I was out of the spotlight that that would affect me. And I can't tell you why. It doesn't bother me in the least. Um, I had my fill. I, I ate the cupboard full of goodness and, and, and spotlights, and it does not bother me. The other thing probably is that it still happens. You know, if I'm in Toronto, I get stopped all the time by people. It's one of those things where even though much music was so long ago, we still have retention with people. People have long memories. They do. And we much. represent right. a certain era in people's lives. Right. Yeah. For sure. Steve. Yes. Wow. I, I'm actually getting a little choked up here. It's so nice to talk to you like well, this. Well, well, thank you. Don't don't, yeah. don't kick monster trucks. Oh, there's okay. And that's oh, good. And anybody listening, look both ways before you cross the street. Steve Anthony, yes, you are. Um, you have aged very gracefully, I have you. to say. And I'm so proud that you are the very first guest on my Yay. very first podcast Yay. next week on reinvention of the VJs. This guy won a contest, and now will be forever known as Rick the Temp. And for those of you who are still listening at the end of this, <laughs> I want to tell you something. It's really important that you're part of the show. First of all, I need to hear your feedback. Are we on the right path? Is Did you enjoy this conversation? So I did. I did with Steve. Um, you can find me all over the internets. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I have a Erica M. page. Uh, and her... Address okay, and you is... can stop right there. I would love for, for you to give me feedback on what's going on here. And also, are there any other on-air people that you think definitely need to be part of this show? And what would you like to ask them? Because I will ask the questions. And, um, well, I guess that's it. 
I want to thank you all so much for, I wrote, I wrote here on my little script, watching. Is that funny? Yeah, yeah, right. That's so weird. Listening. And here's to life filled with music, meaning, and lots of reinvention. See ya! Thanks for listening. Follow Erica M's Reinvention of the VJ podcast. Subscribe and follow more episodes. Click to reinventionofthevj.com. Podcast produced in collaboration with Steve Anthony Productions. Editing and coordination of Flalo Communications, Inc. Copyright 2020. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast. It's said that the more time you have to invest, the greater the return. Well, guess what? Kids have the most time if we learn to invest early. That's why I created the Cash Kid Podcast, where I teach kids and some adults financial skills they need to know on how to earn, save, and invest their money. Join me on this journey as we interview experts and explore topics that allow you to grow your money as kids. This podcast will help you become the money expert among your family and friends. Just remember, anyone can be a Cash Kid. You just have to learn how to become one. Get ready to grow your financial knowledge and your wallet with the Cash Kid Podcast.